Jim Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. continue in our Rediscovering God podcast and um, YouTube recording, I just want to let you know that we're coming up to the Christmas season. We will all be very busy over the Christmas time, so we're going to take a bit of a break and we'll pick up again in January. But today we will continue on. We're in Genesis chapter 6 in our series on the book of Genesis. And we will cover the first part of Genesis today. We have some exciting things to uncover. And uh, so, Ian, I'll let you introduce those for us today. Yes, I remind you that um, Moses wrote the book of Genesis to tell the Israelite slaves who'd been liberated and uh, where they came from and who they were destined to be. Like you have to change their self-images. Mm. You have to create a vision for them. So he's got this book uh, <clears throat> that is either a story of what had happened or um, he, he's writing it retrospectively. So here, here's the story. And mm. uh, so it's a continuation of that history. So, Sasha wanted to read verses 1 and 2. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Thank you. So, notice that uh, it's mentioned in verse 1 that daughters are born to them. Why do you think that that's mentioned? Like... Hello? Hadn't any daughters been born to them up to this point? I mean, right. We've only heard about Cain and Abel so far. And um, uh, was it Seth? Right. No. And, but then the whole genealogy, it's just the men that are mentioned. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is sort of a corrective to the narrative. Mm. So I'm glad you're being noticed here, Sasha. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's true. We had a pretty strong male lineage uh, last time. But I guess we do need some females in order to keep that lineage going. So let's go to verse 2. The sons of God saw the beautiful woman and took any they wanted as their wives. So uh, this is a little different to what we traditionally used to in the scriptures. So... Um, Warren, why don't you read verse 2 in the King James Version? You're old enough to know what that means. So verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So the question is, who are these sons of God? Yeah. Yes, yes. And who are these beautiful 
seductive woman. You mean, who are these beautiful women that just happen to be living their lives? <laughs> <laughs> so there, there are a number of uh, different possibilities here. Um, first of all, the sons of God are referred to um, in the very same way in Job 1 verse 6. Sasha, if you can read that, please. Okay. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Just read that again, please. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves. So that, that statement, members of the heavenly court, uh, is the same Hebrew um, phrasing as what we have here as sons of God. Are, are we saying that these are angels? Well, they are rep apparently they're representative of different creation and Satan shows up with them and he's a fallen angel. So from the different like from the different planets uh, representatives that are that all come together in this heavenly court then, that seems to be the idea, yeah. I see. So not angels, but other created beings. Representatives from other creations, yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm just saying, so they, so other created beings then had access to this time frame? Yes. So when you get to the book of Revelation, you have these uh, four uh, beings Mm -hmm. that are very strange. One has the head of a uh, face of a man, an eagle, an ox, and what was the other one? Um, a lion. A leopard? I think a lion. Okay. Uh, um, and then you have the 24 elders. So they're, they're representatives here uh, that are presented in this very symbolic language in Revelation. This is I, this is far out. <laughs> so... Have a I'm look at Psalm 29, verse 1, Warren. We just look at a few more references here. Uh, similar wording in Hebrew to uh, the wording that's used here for the sons of God. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. And you heavenly beings has an asterisk, and at the bottom it says, you sons of God. Yeah. So, you see, the, the Hebrew does not make it clear whether it's talking about uh, leaders, human leaders, or uh, angelic beings, or beings from another uh, creation in, uh, in Genesis 6. Verse two. But I have a question then. If if we're saying that it's a heavenly being, like an angel or something, I can't imagine that these angels would do that. Like I can't imagine that they would just come and, and take women. Yes. I mean, well, I feel like you you would not like an angelic husband. Are you saying this is you prefer wait a second someone. wait a second that 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 actually would be really nice <laughs> but i wouldn't like it if he just took me without my permission <laughs> well, you you see when it says these beautiful women 
this implies certain seductive behavior on their part. That is a little bit of a reach for me. Yes. Well, if you just wear your burqa, you'll be safe. So in uh, one of the apocryphal books, First Enoch 6, you don't mm -hmm. have access to it except no, on right. Google. But it, um, it refers to these beings as being fallen angels. Well, now that I can understand. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. And Justin Martyr, um, he's a historian um, 2,000 years ago. He also says this. And now I want to show you something in the Bible, 2 Peter 2, verse 4. All right. Uh, so I'll show if you can read that. 2 Peter 2, 4. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. Mm -hmm. So uh, it sounds like they're being held somewhere here on earth. Okay, but thankfully I have different reframe. So I don't read this as the words say it. I am hearing this in a different way now. But initially this would be be quite troubling to me okay i think i understand what you're saying uh, is that you are not happy with an everlasting punishment right or that god is is causing bad things to happen to these beings yeah. okay so he, he has the solution that some people have they say that angels uh Fallen angels usually have cohabited with uh, human women. And then they'll go a step further and say the result of this union was giants. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I've heard that before. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, yes, sorry. go ahead. Sorry, why? I'm the student here who has more questions. Um, so uh, angels we're saying do not um, marry or, you know, procreate and that kind of thing. So does that ability just not like, are they able to do that, but they just don't do that. And then when they became fallen angels, they then could procreate. Like, I'm not sure exactly how to ask this, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, are they, are good angels celibate, but fallen angels are right, like carnal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but procreation is that? Did God give that to every the the angels and the humans? Do you think then? Well, let's let's read what Jesus said about it. Matthew twenty two thirty. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. So I think it's safe to conclude from this statement by Jesus that uh, angels are asexual. I think that's what uh, the euphemism, they neither marry or are given in marriage means. Just means they don't have sexual relationships. A lot of mystery in here. <laughs> So if that's the case, then that would make it hard 
for the assumption that fallen angels um, took these beautiful women and the result was uh, giants. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, people who, who uh, believe in that idea haven't read Jesus very carefully. Right. Okay. Okay. So let's look at another possibility. The sons of God can refer to the descendants of Seth because he was a God follower. And the woman referred to the descendants of Cain's line being daughters of men. I see. That sounds good. We have to say that the language used doesn't support this idea very well, but it doesn't make the idea impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then he has a third option. The sons of God, and it could be a small g, meaning, uh, you know, when Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth person in the fiery furnace, he says, there's a fourth one there that looks like the son of God. Mm -hmm. which which simply means a very impressive or heroic figure, uh, mm. a godlike human being. Uh, mm. So could refer to tyrannical leaders who took what they wanted by violence, compounding the polygamy of Lamech. And I, I'll show you something interesting in this verse too. Um, this is what happened. The sons of God saw, and then they took mm -hmm. and had sex with. Eve saw the beautiful apple, took it, and ate it. Do, do you see the sequence? Yeah. It, it mirrors. Mm -hmm. Verse 2 is mirroring what happened to Eve. And so uh, that implication... Uh, is that this was rebellion against God, distrust. Whatever's going on here is yeah. a distrust of God because of the very phrasing uh, of what's happening in the text. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and also, I mean, I don't know what was sort of common at the time, but we are talking in plural here. Um, they took any and wives. So <clears throat> potentially they just, they were like, yep, I want this and this and this and yeah. <clears throat> so it doesn't that, sound that, like there was a lot of choice going on here. On not the for the part. women. No. Yeah, and and notice they took any they wanted. Mm -hmm. That's an implication of violence. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and that's important because when it comes to the causation for the flood. This is one of the reasons given, is that all the people had become violent. Okay, so we're ready for verse 3. Warren, if you can read verse 3, please. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Thank you. So, Sasha, I wonder if you can look this up in the um, uh, the. Uh, I'm not sure what the C stands for. The C B, something Contem English, contemporary, contemporary English, Bible. English Bible, I think. Yeah, Sasha, can you look yeah. that uh, yeah. up? 
Genesis 6, 3. And mm -hmm. then Warren, if you can look it up in the King James Version. Okay. Then the Lord said, I won't let my life-giving breath remain in anyone forever. No one will live for more than 120 years. Okay. Now, um, notice the difference that he's not going to keep his life-giving breath in everyone, in everyone after this. The max will be 120 years. Now, I want you to notice the difference uh, between these two translations, yeah. we're using the New Living Translation and the King James Version. Warren, if you can read it, please. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, with man, for that he is also for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. Okay, so on the basis of the, of the King James Version, this verse was interpreted that Noah would preach for 120 years, and then the flood would come. I see. Okay. So that's just as long as, yeah, the life was. Yeah. So God gets fed up, and he says, I'm going to let you guys go on for 120 years, and then I'm going to cut it off. Well, well, I really like the CEV version best out of all of those. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted you to to understand where the idea that Noah preached for 120 years came from, because the newer translations uh, don't give that impression at all. I no. see. Yeah, right. <clears throat> when we read that, I thought, oh, is there another place where it talks about how long Noah preached? Yeah. Right. This is this is the place. This is the place. So that also, I don't know, that really struck me. That life-giving breath, that idea that we are alive because God gives us breath. And that, you know, when that breath comes out, well, we cease to live. Yeah. True. Well, I'll take your wondering a step further. Uh and where does the idea of kissing come from? Mm. Well, I'm just now thinking, does it come from when Adam, when he breathed life into um, Adam? Well, I think that's that might be the source. Mm. Thinking and, you know, when you're young and you kiss for the first time, it is life-giving. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> If you can remember that far back, Warren. <laughs> oh, but it doesn't have to end. It doesn't have to just be back then. Okay. Oh, that's right. Every day it's life-giving. Amen. Right. Well, if I believed you guys, then I could live forever. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So uh, in verse 3, it's, God says, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. I don't like that one. I really want to say that that's what uh, Moses was putting in there because he was fed up with a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> um, I don't know if you know that you've got a problem here because, and you're going to like the problem, Sasha, because oh, in Matthew 18, 22, Jesus says to Peter, no, you don't forgive seven times. You forgive 70 times seven. 
uh, and he's using a symbolic number. He's not using a literal number. He's not saying you forgive 490 times and right. then you stop. He's mm -hmm. saying you never stop forgiving. Right. Yeah. So Jesus says you never stop forgiving. And now we've got a statement that the Lord's fed up and uh, he's going to drown them all. Do you see I, the problem? Yeah. The, this God that Moses is presenting has limited forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. I was driving yesterday and the thought came to me. No, not yesterday, Friday. And uh, I was listening to a praise song and all of a sudden it came to me that they was talking about the good news. And then really quickly, I thought the good news is that God's not mad at me. <laughs> yes it is the, the whole concept of wrath you know growing up with that and 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 that he has fond affection for me was the next thought and and that was straight out of your mouth ian but good. um i love that idea the good news is that god's not mad at me and this is confirming that so that's good yeah let's just talk about uh lifespans uh before the flood they're living 900 to a thousand years most of them Mind like, yeah the one guy lived for 777 years and he he really had a short life he died <laughs> very young <laughs> poor and, guy <laughs> and then after the flood uh the uh, lifespan decreases mm -hmm. quite dramatically yeah uh, Moses lived for 120 years. Joshua lived for 110. And then the psalmist says, uh, our lifespan is reduced to 70 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, in Canada, we've beaten that. Mm -hmm. Our average lifespan is in the 80s now. Mm -hmm. And you know why that is? Because meat lasts longer in a deep freeze. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say because there's so many life breath, uh, life giving breaths here. That's you know <laughs> marriage and all these good things. I'm like, you're clearly doing well, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, in verse four, we come to an explanation of why there were giants on the earth. Mm. So, uh, why don't you read that one, uh, Sasha? Verse 4. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth for where, whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Thank wow. you. That, these giants are also referred to in two other places. Uh, Numbers 13, Warren. Numbers 13, verse 31 to 33. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Oh, 33. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. <laughs> so uh, these were obviously physical giants. Yeah. Like Goliath that we'll meet later on. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And, you know, it, it says about King Saul that he was head and shoulders above all the people. So he was also a very large man. There's another reference in Deuteronomy 2, 10 to 11. Okay. Uh, Sasha, if you can read that, please. A race of giants called the Amites had once lived in the area of Ar. They were as strong and numerous and tall as the Anakites, another race of giants. Have you ever met a giant? No, I don't think I have. Not a physical giant, no. So I was preaching at a place uh, yesterday, and this guy was six inches taller than me. Well, wow. I'm not used to looking up to people. <laughs> I'm used to looking down on people. Now I'm looking up to this guy. Wow. Uh -huh. mm. uh, so what would happen if I met somebody who's a foot or 18 inches taller than me? Right. Yeah. Uh, there are people like that, but uh, it's very infrequent these days. Mm -hmm. Most of them play basketball. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, but we do have giants intellectually and artistically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, which to me is just as impressive, if not more impressive. Mm. Uh, I don't know how you guys account for these people who are so much superior to us normal people, whatever that means intellectually and artistically well i we i i think it's cool to look up to them i i had the thought of people who are giant hearted and those are people you want bear hugs from so um yeah i think it's a good thing yeah it amazes me how some people music seems to run out of their fingers yeah you know, they can just sit down and accompany anybody and jam with other musicians and so on. And then you get these artists yeah. that can draw people so lifelike. You think it's a photograph. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you go, where does that come from? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get uh, scientists and mathematicians who can just, uh, you get this child product. Product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can, do all this stuff and for me it it reminds me that we were created with this incredible genetic potential yeah and although it's been damaged sometimes it just slips through and you have these these Glimmers. yeah amazing notice the violence implied again by the connotation between uh, giants and famous warriors. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just want you to see the thread that runs through this, mm -hmm. how uh, much violence plays a part in the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're on verse five, and we need to read five, six, five and six. Yes. Warren? The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was constantly and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And verse 7. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. 
Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the air. I am sorry I ever made them. Okay, so there are all sorts of interesting uh, observations that come to mind. Um, does God know the future? Was this a surprise to him? What happened? Yeah, you'd think uh, it sounds like it's a surprise. So uh, the Hebrew scriptures don't often describe the emotional response in people. But here it says it broke his heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like from, you know, what I've learned so far, I feel like that first part of that verse, we can just cut that out. It broke his heart is what the the verse really says to me now anyways. So then verse 7 says, so God says, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. So this is really the theme of Noah's flood. It's is that it's universal. This idea is going to be repeated over and over and over again, that every living thing was destroyed. It's an exceptional repetition mm -hmm. of all the stories I've read. Mm -hmm. Moses is trying to describe the causation of the flood. Oh. Um, he sees the flood as a supernatural event, which it was. Mm -hmm. And so he ascribes it to God. Since Old Testament writers had no knowledge of a supernatural evil being, who we call the devil. So, you know, one of the characteristics of human beings is they are meaning makers. Mm -hmm. We're always trying to explain why this is happening, how it's happening, and what the consequences are going to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this curiosity drives us up Mount Everest, down into the Mariana Trench, out to the moon uh, and Mars, uh, to how human beings interact with each other. It's really, we're really curious beings and we want to make meaning out of everything. And sometimes we explain causation uh, in our ignorance, mm -hmm. uh, but we somehow have to do it. Well, yeah. We've got to explain why this thing's happening. Yeah. So I want to draw to your attention that the longest lived man, Methuselah, his name meant when he dies, it will happen. And so the fact that he lives the longest is a tribute to God's grace, that God's holding this thing back for as long as possible. So we, we have a parallel in Revelation 7. I'll just remind you, seven angels on the four corners, sorry, four angels on the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of trouble until God's people are sealed. So they hold this destruction back uh, until everybody's been saved that can be saved. Right. Another point we need to make about the flood is using a violent flood to destroy violence or evil on earth was a futile solution, since we know in hindsight that violence soon affected all the earth again after the flood. Yeah. Again, you must ask, if God is omniscient, omniscient, which he is, and he knows 
that drowning everybody is not going to solve the problem, why would he do it? Yeah. Right. It certainly suggests that someone else was involved in that destruction, not God. Yeah. 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 And if he truly was done with creation, then nobody could have been left because clearly they're going to keep propagating. So it would have had to be a complete end. Yeah. We really insult God when we believe that he would use such an ineffective solution mm -hmm. to the problem of evil or violence. Yeah. So I met a woman recently who said to me, uh, you know what? Um, the thing is that God had to somehow keep human beings alive until Jesus came. Right. I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. And so he, he dealt with the baddies just to delay mm -hmm. uh, the evil that was developing on the earth. I thought that was quite a good comment, actually. Of course, Jesus could have come before the flood then. That was, he's not bound by the prophecies that were given later. So the next point um, we're going to make is that the flood is a reversal of the order created on the second day of creation story, where the water on the earth was separated uh, into water above the sky. So what the flood really is, is a destruction of the order that God created on the second day of creation. Now, if you say that God is creating the flood, then he's returning the earth to this chaos that was there before he created on it. As Moses writes the story, then uh, God is not only the author of order, but also of chaos. And the greatest chaos is death. Mm -hmm. When all these cells that have been ordered in your body now turn to chaos. And so what you're saying is that God is also the author of death. Now, we're going to deal with this in a, a few minutes. Uh, and I would say that uh, the great evidence of God's life, uh, light, uh, and energy is that he creates order out of chaos. Mm, amen. That's what we mean, that he's the life giver and the creator. Well, I'm what's what the thought that's coming up for me is the parting of the sea that the children of Israel walked through. And when they got to the other side, God withdraws his power that keeps the water separated and it comes together. It just so happens that the Egyptian army was in there and they got destroyed in the process. So if God in creation has separated the water, this time it's vertical instead of horizontal like the sea was, and he's holding the water up in the sky, but then because of the wickedness, it, it got to be so great that God could not continue to hold that apart he he's he's being forced away from sustaining what he had put in place and and so um it's not that he sent the flood it's just that his 
his power was being forced away. And as a result, that water collapsed back down to earth. Yeah. Hmm. Kind of like the winds being held back. Yeah. So we're now in a position to understand that we, we human beings can actually destroy the earth. Mm -hmm. Now, of all the people that have ever lived, I can't speak of the people who lived before the flood. Uh, I believe they were highly intelligent beings uh, being made in the image of God and recently as compared with us. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure they were able to do far more than we were able to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to fall into the Darwinian trap that I'm superior to the antediluvians. Mm -hmm. So we now know uh, that we're destroying the earth, actually actively destroying the earth with pollution, global warming, or that we could destroy it catastrophically using nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have atheistic uh, scientists and futurists telling us that we're on the brink of self-destruction. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not too much to suggest uh, that the flood could have been created by the antediluvians meddling with the balance of the water above the sky and the water below the sky and right. below the surface of the earth. Mm -hmm. yeah, this is what I see happening. And I, you know, I'm a human being. I could be wrong. Um, is that God says to Noah, a flood is coming, and you better build this boat. And Noah interprets this as God saying, I'm going to send the flood. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have to talk about prediction does not equal causation. Um, we've talked about it before, and we're going to talk about it again. Good. Um, you know, if God wanted to destroy... Uh, all life. He could have used less destructive means. He could have uh, used a virus or a bacteria or changed the composition of the atmosphere slightly. Um, he could have used a neutrino bomb. A neutrino bomb only affects living organisms. You drop the bomb all material things that are non-living are not effective. It only destroys living matter. Wow. Yeah. So I, in, in retrospect, uh, I, I find it insulting to God to say that he had to destroy everything when all he wanted to destroy was these violent, wicked, sinful human beings. Mm -hmm. As a kid, I actually remember having the thought that if God is so intelligent, you know, why did he make these people for this length of time? And then they got really bad. So he said, oh, I don't like these ones anymore. I'm going to start over again. You know, it, it did not make any sense to me as a kid. And it made me really worried that if I got bad <laughs> that he would just be like i'm done with sasha we gotta start over again we need a new thing here and it just caused the fear that you know whatever 
this this discussion here is way um it, it, this this idea of holding the winds back that you talked about in Revelation and then saying that Methuselah's name meant after he dies, it will happen and that he's trying to hold the winds back here. It's like God is only in the business of trying to keep people alive and keep them safe. And, you know, and then when... When I liked what you said, Warren, when when we forced it, when we forced the protection away, he's not going to override us. Like he's not going to force us to be anything. Like he just goes, okay, you know. Well, there seems to be there needs to be a way that we can um, maintain this idea that God gives us freedom to choose. And, and because if we believe that God initiates the flood, then we're saying that, yeah, you can choose what you want, but if you choose the wrong thing, I'm going to wipe you out. Yes, Whereas that's right. If, if the flood is, is a result of natural causes or demonic causes, then mm. God is saying, I'll give you up to what you've chosen. And, and that's what happens. And so Noah, build an ark because it's coming down. I'm, I'm not going to be able to hold this thing together much longer. You need to have an ark that you can get into so that at least as many as want to can be saved. Rescue mission rather than destruction mission. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, he's, he's rescuing them from a enemy that is destroying. He's not rescuing yes. them from himself. From the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So um, I want to, to close up this uh, podcast to review that prediction does not um, mean causation. Beautiful. So I'll give you a few examples. Moses at the end of his life. This is not the young Moses. Mm -hmm. This is at the end of his life after he's lived 120 years, 40 years in Pharaoh's court, 40 years herding sheep, and 40 years herding rebels. And this is the conclusion he comes to. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Look now, I myself am he. There is no God, other God but me. I am the one who kills and gives life. I am the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. And read verse 40 just to dramatically emphasize what's being said. Now I raise my hand to heaven and declare, as surely as I live, when I sharpen my flashing sword and begin to carry out justice, I will take revenge on my enemies and repay those who reject me. And verse 41. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh, the blood of the slaughtered and the captives and the heads of the enemy leaders. Would you ever describe God that way? No. That's a pretty... Uh, gruesome gruesome picture of god he has where'd moses get this picture from he got it from pharaoh yeah that is how pharaoh ruled 
And so he sees God as an uber-pharaoh. Mm. And so he uses the language he used to describe Pharaoh for God. So Job has an eloquent statement that's often rehearsed at funerals. Mm. Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Right. And that was Job's understanding. And we read this first two chapters of Job and we say, no, no, no. Satan took away. But Job mm -hmm. never knew that. He always thought it was Satan. That's right. It was yeah. God who took away. So I always think of this when some senior citizen says to me, you know, I'm tired, I'm useless. I wish God would take me away. And then I debate in my mind whether I should have a debate with this dear saint about that it's not God who's taking them away, but it's the devil. And uh, I decide not to. So have a look at this 1 Samuel 16, 14. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 14. Sasha, if you can read that, please. Now, the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Okay, so the Lord sent a tormenting spirit. Mm -hmm. Older translations say an evil spirit. Mm, even more point. <laughs> so who sent, uh, <clears throat> who sent it? The Lord. And, and I want you to see that when it says the Lord, it means the personal God of Israel. It doesn't mean God in a generic sense. Like this is a serious indictment. So why is Saul depressed? Because God has sent a tormenting or an evil spirit into him. And this is fully in line with what we read in uh, Deuteronomy 32. So now in 2 Samuel 24 verse 1, uh, we have the attribution of the cause of the plague which killed 70,000 people in Israel. Once again, oh, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. Thank you. Who did it? Who's the cause? The anger of the Lord burned against him, and he caused, the Lord caused David. The Lord caused David. Now, have a look at uh, Sasha. <clears throat> 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. Same incident. Mm -hmm. Chronicles is written at the end of the Old Testament period, much later than Samuel. Okay. Mm -hmm. Satan, rose, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So, so Satan rose up. Yeah. So is it the Lord, or is it Satan, or are they working together? Luckily, we have John 10.10. 10. <laughs> yes, we'll get there. Um, so I remind you that the word Satan is never used early in the history of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, it happens in Job chapters 1 and 2. But those two chapters were added to the story of Job around about 500 BC, um, when Chronicles was written and also Zechariah was written, hmm. which are the three books that mention Satan. These are all written right at the end of the Old Testament times. 
There's nothing about Satan in the early history. That's an important uh, realization to have, that these are really coming at the very end of the Old Testament. Yeah. And that's decoding, I think, in a sense that, that we need. I never had that. And that just opens up the story to a character that we didn't really realize was even present. Yeah. 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 So now we, we've looked at uh, leaders, prominent people, and their views of God. Sometimes it's more convincing if you just look at ordinary people and see what they say. So you, mm -hmm. you get a feel for the ethos of the nation. So have a look at Ruth 1 verse 21, if you can read that, uh, Sasha. Mm -hmm. Ruth 1 verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Okay, so she's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons in Moab. Mm -hmm. And uh, who does she blame for her losses? Yeah, God. God. Mm -hmm. So we have a parallel in Hannah. Um, mm -hmm. 1 Samuel 1 verse 5. Hannah has no children, and who does she blame for this, uh, Warren? 1 Samuel 1, verse 5. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. The Lord had given her no children. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how often we blame God for mm -hmm. the work of the devil. Mm-hmm. It's really tragic. So I want to remind you, Jesus, who is God, claimed he is the resurrection and the life. Mm -hmm. He says that. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. Like, this is Jesus. This is God describing himself. And then Sasha wants to recite John 10, verse 10. Yeah. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundant. Yes. And then uh, Warren wants to read Hebrews 2.14, just the second part. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Uh, it doesn't get any plainer than that. The mm -hmm. power of death lies in the devil yeah it is an alien phenomena for god or jesus mm -hmm. it is not part of their repertoire of skills so we're really attributing the destruction at the flood to the devil we are and the devil being a spirit has to work through human beings yeah or the forces of nature Somehow he manipulated it, and it happened, and he caused heartbreak to God yeah. and pleasure to himself to be able to destroy God's beautiful creation. And then on top of that, uh, um, have the book recorded that it's attributed to God. Yeah. A master stroke. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Um, we've used up enough time for seven verses, and we'll pick it up from verse eight 
uh, next time for the next podcast. Thanks, guys. Let's pray together. Dear God, uh, we're embarrassed about how often we blame you for our misfortunes. We repent. We confess our sin. And we ask for persuasiveness and eloquence to tell the truth about you to those we meet. Amen. You're wonderful beyond words. And we want everybody to know this. For your glory and our joy. Amen. recording of our podcast on our website, uh, as well as the PDF document that we've been using, so you can follow along or at least see all the passages. And so that website is rediscoveringgod.ca, and on there there is the, um, the, the PDF document, the uh, link for the podcast, as well as our YouTube link. We are now on YouTube. So if you want to see us live, then you can go and watch it on YouTube. Wonderful. And we'd also love to invite you to our Monday evening Zoom discussion where Ian and Warren lead us out. And um, we are currently going through the podcast uh, where we get to have discussion and really dive in a little deeper and get our, um, our, our most pressing questions answered. Um, it's a really wonderful time of fellowship and connection with the group. Um, we share in community and resources as well. We'd really love to have you join us. We're going to be meeting um, at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time. Uh, you just add in the link 403-506-9201. We'd love to see you. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod2020 at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and know how this journey of rediscovering the God that Jesus knew is changing your life.